It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle. An hour every Saturday at 2, when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, try to bring some context to the news of the week, or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. I hope you are listening to this someplace warm. We're here for an hour, and then left versus right comes in at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa. There is no rain, sleet, hail that can keep Curtis Lewa out of his seat here at the studio. Uh, you can hear us anywhere on the East Coast over the radio, wabcradio.com. We have an app. You can get us in the podcast. Whatever you do, don't do it out of doors. It is cold. I, uh, as you know, I take either I take the bus or I take City Bike here to the studio, and it's a straight shot on City Bike. I got a good bike today. I made it two blocks and got onto the M15 uh, select bus. It was. It is. It's cold out there. I mean, I'm, that's not news. That's the weather, though. Um, so it's been kind of a crazy week. We have a great episode for you today. It's Christmas Eve. It's so great to have you along. If you're uh, at your family, if you're on your way, if you're still doing some last-minute shopping, it was a crazy week of ups and downs for New York sports fans. The Islanders played their the Rangers in a rivalry game. It's for believe it or not, it's the last time those two teams are going to face each other. They only face each other three times this year. The the scheduling at the NHL is mind-boggling to me. The Islanders lost, unfortunately. It's a really good game, though. I have learned that um, based on all I've seen, Joe, who's on the board today, is a better quarterback than Zach Wilson. By the way, Ava's also on the on the phones. If you want to call in, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Carlos Carrera signed. Well, no, Carlos Carrera did not sign. He was going to sign with San Francisco. Then the last minute, you go to bed one, you go to bed and wake up the next morning. It turns out he signed with the Mets, twelve year, three hundred fifteen million dollars. But wait a minute, of course he has a physical that he has to do before he takes over at third base. And wouldn't you know it, the rumors are circulating or stories are circulating that the same way he had health concerns that led the Giants not to sign him, it looks like the Mets have health concerns. And what makes me nervous is what Correa's um, agent is saying. I'm going to read you from the post. He says, there is no current issue with Carlos's health whatsoever. I don't like when, when lawyers put in words like current issue. And then he goes on to say, all the conjecture and evaluation of him has been about physicians using their crystal ball for years to come. He's got a 12, you're about to send a 12-year contract. What do you think the physical is? Like, how does he feel today? No, it's like, is he going to stand up to the test of time? But who knows? Maybe by the time we get off the air, Carlos Carrera will take his spot. You know, people are like, oh, he's spending so much money. I saw even Hal Steinbrenner. The Mets are spending so much money. I, it's not my money, man. Spend as much as you want. This is to make our team better, and God bless him for doing it. I'm not a big Cohen fan. This is something Curtis and I agree with, but good for the Mets for going all in this year. So it was an exciting and a bit stressful week for me. Yesterday I began a period of filling in for Bo Snurdly, who his great show, The Rush Hour, is on every weekday from 4 to 5. And it's a professional challenge. I, I I won't lie to you. You know, those are big shoes to fill. He has an audience, like so many of us do, an audience that grows comfortable with a certain voice. And although he and I frequently get confused for one another on the street because we look so similar, we have very different styles and changes, uh, particularly in radio, can be a little bit jarring, right? You know, there is a, the inter- same intimacy in radio that makes it such a comfortable place is also you get comfortable with a certain time of day, a certain voice and everything else. And, um, and especially when it's me on 77 WABC, you know, the, the, the thing that I don't think that that John Katsimatidis and Margo and Chad and the gang here gets enough credit for is like, I am not just any progressive, any liberal. I'm so well known and in many cases really disliked that, you know, taking a risk to put my voice on the airwaves alongside the other voices here um, 
it's it's a challenge when I go and I fill in for someone else, kind of the way it is. This is now our 40th episode, and thank you so much for all the support you've given me. But kind of the way it was at the beginning of the show, and people are still getting used to me, and still I still get calls saying, oh, I was expecting something different, et cetera. But although, and although it's holiday time, drive time during the week is a very different beast on the radio than what we do on Saturday afternoons. You know, this is more a, a place that, you know, the, the, the flow is more relaxed. I'll be very honest with you. And we go into music later on for, uh, uh, for a very good reason. The weekend programming is a real art form. Um, and I got a, a lot of advice on how to, to manage it. I've got advice from other people who are on the air. And, and But the best advice I got was actually from Margot Katsimatidis just before I went on the air. And you know, I was very concerned, you know, how much, you know, how, how, you know, how much do I have to do to perform the, you know, how much background do I have to do, et cetera. And her advice was short and sweet. She said, introduce yourself and then be yourself. And that was comforting. And, and, and so, Nowadays, this version of Anthony Weiner means being openly describing my rise and my fall and my struggles and my recovery, you know, talking about those things honestly, because frankly, it was the dishonesty and the hiding and the shame that led to my demise. As much, you know, people say it's not the crime, it's the cover. Well, in my case, it was kind of both, but, um, and so that's what I did when I when I, I went on on Friday. You, you, by the way, you can get in the form of a podcast. All of the programming you have here is at the Red Alpha Podcast Network, and Bo Snerdley has a great show, and you should subscribe to him anyway. But anyway, so I invited people that if they, you know, we talked about some of the issues of the day, and I, but I did invite people if they wanted to ask me more about what I had been through, especially in light of the fact that it was holiday time, and sometimes these issues – of addiction and loneliness and despair. Sometimes they do kind of rise up around this holiday. I invited people to call in and they did. And some people, we had some really meaningful conversations. It was not your normal drive time radio. Um, and by the way, the same invitation, and this is true always, this goes for the listeners of the middle as well. Um, that if you want to reach out to me at wienerwabc at gmail.com, or at Rep Wiener, or just to call 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, and ask anything about what I had been through, things that go on in your family, the things that went on in my family. As I told you last week I lost my brother to addiction. You know, I'm always, you know, I, I don't want this to be that kind of a show. That's all we talk about. Um, but if I can be of service that way talking about it, and also to be kept honest, right? I mean, this is the version of who I am today. And... You and I have a relationship as a listener and someone who, who, who you, you know, I'm someone you let into your home and let into your life an hour each week. And I really do appreciate that. So anyway, don't want to get too bogged down that, but it was the, the experience was a professionally daunting one next week, all week from four to five. I'm going to be on and I'm going to try to continue that vibe of just being myself and following Margot's advice on that. Also this week, Jordan had his actual birthday. I have now, if it seems like I've been talking about Jordan's birthday for like three weeks now, you're not wrong, um, because what what happens with him is December becomes this one long celebration because his birthday is on the 21st, the shortest day of the year. We say that when Jordan was born, every day was brighter. But because school is often out during his birthday, we have a party for him or some celebration for him earlier in December when his friends are still around. So we had that. We had that party at the water park. Then it's his birthday, and of course Hanukkah is 18th through the 26th, so a couple of days, a couple more days of that. Christmas is on the 25th. Now, you might say, you said, well, he has a Muslim mom and a Jewish dad. Well, that doesn't mean he doesn't like <laughs> getting gifts on another day. That doesn't mean he doesn't have people in his life who want to give him Christmas gifts. Anyway, he is rocking it this month. <laughs> he's doing great. He wanted a phone. He's 11 years old. He's not getting a phone. Jordan, if you're listening, you're not, you're, I know you're disappointed. But he did get an Apple Watch, which, which whom and I learned to our dismay, maybe, that he can text on that watch and we can follow him where he goes and all these different things. But I gotta, I gotta tell you, you know what else he's doing? He's running around like a madman counting his steps. And good for him, man. He's out there playing soccer, counting his steps. And he can also make phone calls from the watch. So this morning while he was playing soccer and, um, uh, I was talking to him while I was preparing for the show. I, I, I know this is going to be a dated reference, but. The Dick Tracy element of it is just too bizarre. I mean, how much is going on in his wrist that you know, technology that wasn't even imaginable 
um, when I was growing up and I was his age. Um, when I was growing up, the high technology thing was on Get Smart, the shoe phone. Joe is wondering what the shoe phone was. You got to go look it up. You can get it on YouTube. Um, uh, also, now this is a weird part. When I asked him what did he want to do for his birthday, he didn't have too many answers for me. You know, nowadays it's a little bit of a struggle. He's 11. He's all grown up now. And so finding ways that we can bond together, we, you know, we do hockey and things like that. But sometimes he's like, Dad, I'm so over you. But he found out that over COVID, I had ordered a haircutting kit, like with a razor, the, the scissors and the comb and all the different things. And he, and I never actually used it. And my hair's gotten longer. I'm trying to wear it a little longer. And when he found I had this kid, he begged for his birthday to be able to cut my hair. Um, that did not go well. Now, fortunately, he started in the back. And fortunately, Huma was around. And fortunately, I had a camera on watching what he was doing so I can see what was going behind me. Um, so let's just say I got these bald spots now in the back of my Jufro, uh, but that was how Jordan spent his birthday. But anyway, we we, we have a, so much news this week. You might have thought, okay, Christmas week, it'll be a nice slow period, not much going on. Uh, so let's do it in the form of numbers of the week. Each week we like to do some numbers to contextualize the news and then use it as a jumping off point um, for a conversation, a little longer conversation. Numbers of the week. First number is 48. That is the number of times the word salmon is mentioned in the gigantic omnibus appropriations bill that was passed by Congress just yesterday. Uh, in the 400, I'm sorry, 4,155 pages, the word salmon is mentioned because there's all kinds of money for Pacific coastal salmon recovery and the effect of this on salmon. I'm a salmon guy. We're all salmon people. We like salmon 48 times. Another number, 100, $133,445. That's what Donald Trump paid in taxes in 2019. Ask me how I know. I know that because his taxes are being revealed. By the way, he paid zero in 2020. I'm of two minds about all this, but I take Donald Trump at his words that he wanted it to be released. He said so on the campaign trail. He said it over and over again. He said that he was being audited. That's why he couldn't. Turned out that wasn't true. Um, he said he wanted to be released, so they're ahead. So I'm fine with it, I guess. If he's in favor of it, then why should I care? Uh, next number of the week, 34. You heard a reference to this with the news coming in. That is George Santos's age. Uh, now Congressman-elect George Santos's age. Okay, I don't know if that's his age. We have no freaking idea who this guy is. Um, that's my, we think we know that his age is correct, but he's lied about his education. He's lied about his jobs. He's lied about his heritage. And now in a crazy thing, apparently there's a divorce on his record. And he had said that he was the first gay elected Republican or something. He, he has claimed to be homosexual. We don't even know about his sexual orientation. It is a crazy story, but tough. The people of the third or the fourth, whatever district that is, you're stuck with them. The time to ask questions about someone's background is not after the election. It's before the election. That's the job of his opponent to tell you stuff. It's the job of local newspapers to tell you stuff. It's the job of you as the voters to go and try to find out this stuff. I mean, when we have a, a, a democracy, it's not working because you don't have local papers anymore or whatnot. I, I, but tough tacos. You're going to get this. This is the problem. This is the cost. So you're stuck with him for two years. Um, but I'm sure a lot of the long knives are out for him uh, in terms of his reelection and all kinds of mysteries being unraveled. Another number... 1933, Leviticus 1933. Let's see if you can figure out where I'm going with this. That says, by the way, I'm a Jewish guy. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do, you shall not do him wrong. That's a number. Matthew 25, 25. For I was hungry and gave, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And it raises a question that I thought we'd talk about today. If you want to, though, you know, we're kind of playing the, this is the last, oh no, we have one more show next week, but we're getting towards the end of the year. When we come back from the break, we will have a conversation, if you'd like to indulge it. What, what would Jesus do in today? Well, let's have, what's an easier way to do this? Would Jesus be a Republican? You know, family values, 
sexuality, marriage, abortion, euthanasia, drugs. It does seem like those are kind of Republican values. And on the other hand, wasn't he pro-environment? I think he was an immigrant. I mean, certainly a very multicultural guy. I mean, he's pro-union. I mean, very pro-welfare. I mean, that was like his thing. I mean, he was anti-big business. He was about, all about driving the price manipulators and the, and he was against rent seekers. I mean, it, it, look, I'm no expert. I, I did consult an expert. I'll read his text maybe after the break from my friend Paul, who really is an expert. I mean, isn't the defining message of the core, of the four Christian gospels helping the poor, healing the sick, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, lifting up the underdog? I mean, what else? He'd care for children. The re- distribution of wealth, that was a very, a very thing from the Gospels. Mindfulness of the stranger in your land. I know this isn't a new question, but here it is Christmas Eve. We're trying to get in touch with kind of the values that can guide us throughout the year. So when we get back from the break, we can talk about politicians who made up their address. We can talk about gigantic spending bills that have no, that have a lot of questions in them. We can talk about Donald Trump's taxes. We can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about my struggles with addiction. But this, the issue I'm interested in today is on the eve of his birth and the blessings that that has brought so many people. Was Jesus a Republican? Maybe he was. We'll be back with 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Joe and Abe on the other side of the glass, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you for joining us on The Middle. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Merry Christmas, I don't want to fight tonight with... Welcome back to the middle. The Ramones bringing us back in. I put out an APB for Christmas songs that maybe we would not hear as much of here on WABC. And as usual, Kitty came through. She's the musical director of the show today. That was the Ramones. We got some other ones uh, queued up for the break. So the conversation we're having is one that I don't claim to be an expert on. Quite the opposite. It's outside of the realm of politics in the classic sense, but I'm curious about it, and I'm curious, as always, you, the listener, probably bring the most to the table on this type of a thing, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're here until 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee, comes in. Oh, we are going to, he is fired up. He doesn't know where Eric Adams has been. He popped back up on our TV sets, and Curtis Lee, who still has Adams derangement syndrome, we're going to talk about that in Left versus Right. So we're talking about the idea of how, I mean, it's, it's really broader than Christmas. I mean, how can religion inform how we approach political questions? And just to put one more log on the fire of this conversation, and like I said, um, I'm no expert. I did reach out to someone who did. My friend Paul, who is in addition to being a dear friend, is also my therapist, an interesting guy. He's trained, trained as a, I think he trained in the seminary. Anyway, um, he offered something. He offered a different answer, as he always does, about the idea of maybe just religious people and political people maybe should stay in their individual lanes. And here's what he said. He, he says, paraphrasing Thomas Merton, who was a very prominent Trappist monk, who when asked why monks are so committed to silence, said that they realized nothing they could talk about would be better than talking about God. But nothing they could say about God can do anything but diminish him. So maybe we should just be quiet. And that's like the opposite of what politicians and, and radio hosts. That's the opposite of their philosophy. 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. And let's go to the phones and see if folks have some um, some ideas of their own. First, let's go to Tony in Denver. Tony, welcome aboard. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you. I appreciate the the invite. My pleasure. Yeah, I heard what you said, and I, I, I've heard that argument before, and believe me, I'm no religious scholar, although I have read the Bible, uh, Old Testament and New. But I will say this, that the Christ was speaking to us as individuals, 
He wasn't banging on Caesar's door telling those elites that they have to confiscate money and taxes and toil and labor from the people to support the poor. It's not what he said. As a matter of fact, I think he even told Martha, you're always going to have the poor. As a matter of fact, even when the uh, religious elites were trying to trick him, they said, hey, who should we pay taxes to? And Jesus took himself right out of the, the conversation. He said, listen, whose picture is on this coin? And they said, well, it's Caesar. He goes, well, pay Caesar what you owe Caesar. Mm -hmm. And and that's it. But he's talking to us on an individual level so that we as individuals know how to treat each other. He's giving us a model to follow. And as a matter of fact, you know, as far as taxes, we've done that. As Americans, the American people, Republicans, actually, if you – not that I really care – are probably more generous in charitable donations than the Democrats are. Right. But he's talking to us on an individual level. He never went after any of the political elites or the Sanhedrin telling them that they have to confiscate the people's taxes. That's an excellent, that's an excellent point, an excellent perspective. But Tony, let me ask you this. What, a, how do you think it informs, though, the conversations about immigration when people... Legal immigration? Well... We, we have a, listen to me. You have no country if you have no borders. Well, hold hold on a second, but but hold, let me let me let me just flesh out the question a little more. The the people that are lining up at our borders right now are people who are here seeking asylum. If they, if there's no better definition then why than why aren't they coming in the way they're supposed to? Well, they are. Well, they are. It's not true. Well, they're they're coming. They're coming, and but they're not doing it legally. No, they're, they're presented, they're, they're here legally. Once they present themselves at the border, that's why they're lined up the way they are. But let's, let's, let's put aside legal and illegal. Let's put aside the idea, do we treat them as sojourners, as the Bible says? Listen, we are the most generous country in the world. This country takes in more illegals and legal immigrants than any other country in the world. So for another start attacking us for something which we don't deserve is just wrong. No, no, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. We I'm, are I'm, very, yeah. No, I, I hear you, Tony. I, I hear yeah, no, no. We've done it, and, and we're taking them in. We actually can't keep doing this, and you have to admit that it's actually going to come to the breaking point. At, at what point do we say, listen, you know, we got to – look, we have laws, just like every other sovereign nation. So what does the law say? Whatever the law says, follow the rules. Well, that is – But we're not doing that. And, I, and we're about people coming here. Seriously, hold on. How many people do we have in this country right now? We don't even know who they are. You know, I think they even interviewed Mayorkas, and he had no clue who was in here. I mean, that's how 9-11 happened. And it's suicidal what they're asking us to do. Well, just let me let me just hold on. All right, Tony. Let me let me just get it. first. So you've you've made a lot of a lot of good points, and I guess the 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 question is, and we've had conversation about immigration on the show before. We will in in the in the future. But this notion of who the they is. Let's separate out the they. Let's separate out that, and just say these are individuals who are coming here seeking refuge. And the question is, how do you, you can view that in the terms of, of the government, and we have too many, but I, the question I have is that, you know, at the end of the day, should we view it through that very narrow lens? These are individual sojourners. But you make a very good point. I mean, the, the, the first point in particular I resonated with me, this idea that there are two different things. One is how we behave as individuals and view things, and the other is how we make decisions as a society and choices that we make. And that is, that's, that's why I wanted to have this conversation. I think it's a, it's a, um, it's, 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 a, this question is not easy. Next, let's go to Alice calling us from California. Welcome, Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my call. First, I wanted to say, I think you show the greatest respect to people with differing opinions. And I think in the long run, your audience is going to, the size of your audience is going to be much bigger than the audiences of the other talk show hosts. Uh, the second comment is I wanted to uh, answer your question about what Jesus would be uh, like if he were here today. I believe if Jesus were alive today, he would probably most approve of European society, uh, that the way the Europeans run their, their communities is closest to what he taught. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's closest. And uh, and if you could give me a few more uh, seconds, I want to also say that uh, – in the in the issue of immigration, which is a very hot topic, I believe Jesus would probably favor, definitely favor helping the immigrants or people who are desperate to come to the to a Western country. However, I believe he would support helping them in their home countries, uh, even with military intervention, and not necessarily having open borders to allow them in, because helping them in their home countries means creating the least uh, 
difficulties for all parties concerned, including the natives of, say, the United States and Germany and France. Well, that is an, an, an excellent question. I appreciate the kindness of it. And before we go to break, someone just uh, just texting in, and at Web Wiener is my Twitter handle, wiener at wabc at gmail.com. This is someone someone's input. To honest, uh, to be honest, I would say that if anything, Jesus would have been a benevolent monarchist. He consistently referred to his father's kingdom and encouraged his disciples to pray with the father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as, as us in heaven. So I'm going to say that he would have been a, 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 a monarchist, but I'm not sure how, how that informs the, the debate about left versus right or Republican Democrat here. Look, I, I think Alex Alex has a good guess at it, um, uh, but I'm I'm not sure it gets all the way there. Let, let's go before we, we're bumping up against a break. Let's get one more in. Uh, let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Go ahead, Bob. Yes, um, question about illegal immigration uh, and specifically New York. Uh, these people are coming in, and I believe they're coming in under Title Eight, which is catch and release. There's about four and a half million, and then there's a million that are considered gotaways. Um, my my understanding is they are still here illegally, which we're not doing them any favor because they can't get a job. Uh, the city of New York is helping them by putting up a family of four in, say, a hotel that I've heard costs as much as $93,000 for a family of four for a year for uh, housing, food, medical, and schooling. And how long can the city of New York sustain that? And how are we going to help these people if they're just going to stay in a hotel and they can't get a job, they can't have a life? as opposed to someone who comes in legally who can get a job, who can pay taxes, who can contribute and also benefit by living in this country. It's a, it's a great question. So let me let – me, let me, I appreciate you calling, Bob. Bob, let's call, call us again. A couple of things to clarify is that you are allowed to cross into our country, present yourself to an agent of the government, which is in this case is the border and crossing people – and say, I am here seeking asylum, and then you are here legally while your application is pending. When you see those pictures of people lined up, what are they lined up for? They're lined up to check in at a customs, uh, at an immigration checkpoint. Now, once you're in, Bob is exactly right, you're not allowed to work. Okay? So what should we be doing? What we should be doing is processing those people much faster. In the omnibus that just passed, the Republicans slashed the money that was supposed to go to process those people faster because they thought it was soft on immigration. But those people are here, and I want to say this again, because the second straight call that made this mistake. Those people, when they cross over and come here and check in, they are then here legally. Now, how we manage that, that's a bigger problem. We can get to that on the other side. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're talking about Christmas, what Christ would be like today, God knows, and the challenges that we face in trying to find the next right thing to do. We'll see you on the other side. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Welcome back to the middle. The Kinks bringing us in with Father Christmas. Father Christmas, give us your money. Don't waste our time with your silly toys. You know, I just noticed that Joe is wearing a Seattle Kraken jersey. Seattle Kraken, the last major professional sports team to kind of join the Legion. You know, see, the, the NHL has more teams that have teams that don't end with S 
than any other league. I think the NBA has two of them. See how good you, my callers, are, even though the board is all full up with stuff about immigration and Christmas. But, you know, the Kraken, Seattle Kraken was the, you know, like, uh, release the Kraken was where that came from. It's Seattle, the water and everything else. I get it. But the much better name for that team would have been the Seattle Sockeyes. Sockeye Salmon, Hockey, Sockeye, it just would, it's so much better. But the Kraken logo and their team um, jerseys are the best. They're really great. They're teal and black with a little bit of red with the eye of the S that makes it look like a serpent or something. Um, but some of those, Joe, do you have any team, professional sports teams that don't end in S? Well, and uh, if we're thinking overall, we have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Thunder. We have the Seattle Kraken. Correct. Uh, the there's quite a few actually. There's not that many, but what 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 what, what did we just hear Kevin bark out? Oh, Miami Heat. Miami Heat. That's a good one. And in the NHL, you've got the Lightning. You got the Magic in the NBA, right? Oh, here's one that you guys are never going to get: the Minnesota Wild. So um, those are professional sports. Oh, wait, is one? Did the Jazz? I say the Jazz. Utah Jazz. You did not say that. The Jazz. I think that might be all of them. There aren't too many. Are there any in baseball? All of the Sox teams are. They end in X or they end in CKS. Well, well White Sox and Red Sox end with S. They do. S X. I mean X. X. Yeah. Okay. So those must be the only two. Uh, so anyway, that's we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but I can't think of a better one. Talking about. Sports jerseys, I can do that all day. Uh, anyway, so we are not talking about that. We're, let's let's go to some more calls because I don't want to want to keep us uh, keep us distracted for too much longer. There's some great calls up on the board. Let's go to Tim in the Hamptons. Go ahead, Tim. Thanks for calling in today. Yeah, Anthony. Let me start out by saying I'm married to a foreign national, and uh, 52 years now. I've been all over the world. I've seen borders all over the world. I don't have. I've given up debating and and discussing the legality of the way our immigration system works. I prefer to just look at it for the hypocrisy. If you could step up to the southern border and stand in that line, you get in. What about all of those people, though, that are in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Britain, um, you know, people who apply, and then they sit and they languish for six and eight years. And many of these people are professionals. Yep. that we could use in this country, they they will come to this country and they have already pledged or sworn that they're not going to become a burden. They're going to be self-sufficient. Right. That's but but you, you don't mean the hypocrisy. You mean the inconsistency. I don't think it's an inconsistency. I think you're a hypocrite in Washington if you think that this system is fair and, and right. Right. But it isn't, Tim, and I really appreciate you giving us a lot to think about. Now, but it's not... Look, there's so what do we want from our legal immigration system? And every once in a while, by the way, we go back and we adjust this. Like for a while, we wanted family reunification was a very high priority. This was after World War II when families got separated. Family reunification, you went, you basically went to the to the front of the line. That's how many of our forefathers got here because our families got separated during World War II. Then later on, we start to say, wait, no, we want economic, we want certain economic things. We want people that are going to employ other people with people who are going to bring us technology, who are going to bring us smarts. That's why so many people came in on education visas and work visas and H visas and things like that. And then there's the fundamental bedrock thing about our country as, 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 as exemplified by the Statue of Liberty, this idea that we, unlike every other country in the world, we are going to be a place that you can go when other folks when you have nowhere else to go, right? I mean, and, and again, that's also from the scars of World War II. So it's not so much a function of hypocrisy. It is a function that we as a nation need to have a legislature that functions that adjusts these things from time to time. And it's not easy. There, Look, you know, the you've got agriculture workers who want to come to the United States to pick almonds, and then they want to go home. They want to take the money and go home. And what do our our laws do today? We lock them in, not out. I mean, that's really they, they're afraid to leave after their seasonal work, which, by the way, helps our economy in, in untold ways. And so we have immigration laws that are so screwed up, they're afraid they're not going to be able to come back in. So they wind up staying. We do have issues 
you know, we, we obviously have the concern of that at a previous caller made about terrorism. We want to keep out bad people. We do want people to be self-sufficient. But what do we do about all of the people who are undocumented, who are the dreamers, who went to college, who are working? What about all those people with fake Social Security numbers paying into Social Security they're never going to get, working long jobs, paying taxes every single day, and they're, and, and they're living in the shadows? It isn't a function, in my view, of hypocrisy. It is a function of the dysfunction of our government. We no longer are a government that can sit down. We have Afghans that helped our troops. They were pilots. They were translators. They were support staff at our bases. We made a deal under Donald Trump. I want to point that out. Donald Donald Trump to leave Afghanistan. And we made promises to these people that we would protect you. They're not safe under the Taliban rule. So we just passed this omnibus bill, 4,500 some odd pages. And anti-immigration activists in, in the Republican Party said they would not, they, you had to leave that provision. They could not agree to include that provision in this thing that had everything from soup to nuts to the Michelle Obama trail in it. But a thing to give these people, a few hundred of them, I think it is. Safety here, the Afghan helpers, essentially, the answer is no because of the absolutism around immigration. So I don't think it's a function that people are hypocritical. If anything, it's they're inflexible. It's they're like, I own no, no I'm not going to anyone who does anything to fix the immigration laws is considered someone who is in favor of of amnesty or someone who doesn't, re, you know, doesn't respect the law or something like that. You know, you can go back and listen to the episodes that we've done on immigration. It is not that hard. If you're prepared to compromise on a few things, it's not that hard. Anyone who is here who is undocumented, that can show they've learned the language, respect the Constitution, they haven't broken the law, they're working and paying taxes. You don't go to the front of the line. You go to the end of the line. You pay a fine. It's not amnesty. You pay a fine, but you get a document that says you're allowed to stay and continue working. Any employer that hires people without having that document, that card, whatever we're going to call it, they're criminals just as much as the people that are working here. We say to um, we we say to anyone who doesn't step forward, doesn't get one of those identifying dark cards, if we find you, no delays, tossing you out of the country. Next, we say to the businesses who have seasonal work, we're going to have a seasonal work permit if you're here and it's not that season. You're here illegally. However, if you're here during that season, you're paying your taxes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can come in for those seasonal jobs. We increase funding. We build the wall for, for security. We have a process in place. We invest in having hearing officers, not judges. We don't need to be judges, just hearing officers at the border who turn people around within days. If they're eligible for amnesty, boom, happens. If they're not, you get turned around right away. This is not, it's not impossible. It's not impossible to do, but you know what's necessary for all of those things? Everyone to compromise a little bit. Yeah, we do have to do better security at the border. There are some people who are going to, I'm sorry, you can't stay. You're here illegally and you're not living up to the standards of our country. You're not, whatever, you can't stay. On the other hand, if someone like Marco Rubio, who once thought he was going to be president of the United States, is now considered a pariah in his own party because he sat down with Democrats in the 2000s to try to work out a plan as part of the Gang of Eight or whatever it was called at the time, and even just suggesting the idea of providing a path to legal status was enough to get you thrown out of the party. And I'll never, I'll never get, re- I'll never get elected to anything again because I said I'm fine building the wall. I don't think it's the answer for all that much, and I think that sometimes it distracts us from the other conversation. But I'm like, okay, if it gets, if that's something that can be part of a compromise to get other things, that's what compromise is about. So I don't think it's really a function that people are hypocritical, except the people who are immigrants and they forget how they came here. Everyone says, well, everyone played by the same rules. No, the rules were the rules are constantly changing. Immigration law is constantly changing. Now we're kind of stuck in a place today. That makes it really hard to move forward because there's an inability to anyone to compromise on this stuff. And by the way, the left has to compromise as well. If you're not one of those people that's come here or that's come here and that's working and that's paying your taxes and doing the right thing. And by the way, you know, my, I, you know, I told you I, I have a, a brother's in the restaurant business. It, it is not that people are showing up without documents. They're coming up with, with face social security numbers. You want to know what happens if you're someone who, who runs a, a, a business and you, Hire someone and they say, what's your security number? They give you a fake number. 
You know, when you put that in, the Social Security Administration knows it's fake. They don't send a notice that says, hey, it's fake. They take the money. (laughs) Billions of dollars every year is collected from the undocumented using fake Social Security numbers that they'll never get back. But the Social Security Administration is like, why don't we care? We're taking the money. The point is the system is fundamentally broken. But when you get down to the basic elements of it, you know, keeping families together, being a place that people can come to flee persecution, being a place that the best and the brightest want to go and we want to have them. Who do you think we're punishing, by the way, when we refuse to to grant visas to people who want to come from China and be scientists? Who do you think we're hurting? <laughs> we don't we don't we, we want them to come to our colleges, learn and stay here. You know, this week on my podcast, The Middle Unplugged, I talked about something that we should do to ban TikTok from every government phone. It turns out they did that, actually, in the budget. After I, You're welcome, America. They, they did it because they heard my podcast. But all kidding aside, you know, TikTok is the first time the, the, a company has risen as much as they have and stayed in China. It usually are. It's like we usually take the talent. Anyway, we're coming back after the break. We're going to talk a little more about this. There's a bunch of calls on the board. It got off, became an immigration conversation. 800-848-WABC. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks for joining us on The Middle. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner here until three o'clock, and then Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. If you miss any part of this, uh, you can always get in the form of a podcast. Also, I mentioned earlier, I have another podcast called The Middle Unplugged. We kind of do a little bit like this. Sometimes we get a little saltier with our language. This week in episode nine, we talk about the dangers of TikTok, kind of the other social media company that's not really getting as much attention as I think it should. You can always reach me at at Rep Wiener on Twitter if I'm not shadow banned, WienerABC at gmail.com. And, of course, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And as I mentioned earlier, all this week I'll be filling in for Bo Snurdly at 4 o'clock on Drive Time Radio. If you can come check that out as well. As I said, it's a big challenge for me, so big, big shoes to fill. We're going to try to have some interesting guests. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing in the words of Margot Katsimatidis, introducing myself and being myself, which is what I'm trying to do. So we're talking about immigration. We're also talking about how religion plays into this conversation. Let's bang out some more calls. Uh, first, let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Go ahead, Bob. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, the other part of my question was about the immigrants that are classified as gotaways, not the ones that they are asylum seekers. What happens to them? I mean, they're here illegally, period. Correct. They are, Bob, and I appreciate the call. So here's what happens. You know, another reason another reason to fix our legal immigration system is you, if you are a bad player, if you're someone here who means to do us harm, if you're someone here who's not playing by the rules, if you're someone here who's a criminal, you become a much smaller needle in a much bigger haystack. So if you need any other reason to kind of fix our immigration laws, you know, these gotaways, they're a, they're a fictional kind of number. They're an estimate. Like I think the the um, Customs and Border Patrol, they, they say, you know, we, we don't get X percent. Like we don't catch every single person. Now, arrests are way up from where they were under the Trump administration. But that doesn't tell you anything. It just can mean that there's more people trying than under the, the Trump administration. Now, Another thing to keep in mind about immigration is where these people are coming from. They're coming from, in some cases, Venezuela, Honduras, like places. They're crossing several borders to get to the United States. And some people say, well, they should just stay in Mexico. Our remain in Mexico policy 
was an agreement that the Mexicans were going to do something that they're not willing to do anymore. And part of it is because we've been leaning on them too hard about drug interdictions I talked about in last week's show. It's not an easy answer for this. If we want to say we no longer want to be a a country that allows people to, to declare asylum, then that becomes a very, very different thing because then we take those people who are lined up in all those news stories and then we can, we can, whatever, we can expel them in whatever order we want. But fortunately or unfortunately, we still have, we still have that as part of our laws. Now, my view of it is, and as part of any immigration plan, we have to say, if you want to declare, if you want to de- uh, uh, declare for amnesty, uh, I'm sorry, for asylum, you can't do it at the border. And that's one idea. And in that case, we would have to, like, really bolster our resources in all these various countries. But the biggest thing we can do to stop um, immigration is to help out the countries where they are. And we've tried that under Democrat and Republican administrations, like in Colombia, trying to deal deal with the violence around the drug wars in, in you know, it's tough in Venezuela. Now, here's a crazy thing. And this I don't know what to think about this. And so. We're really hard on the on the Venezuelan government for good reasons. They're bad players. They're bad to their people. They're bad international players, everything else. So we stop buying their oil. We, we put sanctions on them and everything else. And the, the country goes into a tailspin, an economic tailspin. Hyperinflation, 200, 300 percent. People can't afford to eat. And they get up and leave. We created in some degrees this migration by our policies with another part of our government. It's complicated stuff, man. It is complicated stuff. Ultimately, people don't get up and leave their homeland unless they're trying desperately to find something better for them and their kids. That's just the way it is. Same reason my my family wound up coming here. Um, okay, let's go to some more. Uh, Robin and Yonkers. Robin, welcome aboard. I, okay, so I majorly disagree with you that the five million people who have come across our border are not asylum seekers. They are, they are Biden's big mouth welcoming mat. They are here for the money. They are here for the welfare. They are here for um, the health care and the education. This is nonsense. We need, I don't disagree with you from the point of view of handling them in their countries. For instance, we need to bomb the court, the cartels in Mexico. Why aren't we doing that? But Biden would rather help, you know, the Ukrainians from, you know, against Russia than America being invaded. Okay. Let me, Robin, you you gave me a lot. Let me start and go backwards from the last thing. Uh, And I really appreciate your calling. So why don't we bomb the cartels? Well, I would refer you to episode 39 of this show last week, where I explained a little bit about the challenge we have of getting the Mexicans to cooperate with us on immigration means that, we have to go easy. They don't like it when we come and get involved, when we basically cross the border with our policy and try to stamp out the drug trade. As I've explained last week, by the way, these are not Mexican emigrants that are coming in. We have a relationship with, with Mexico about workers that is really most of these people coming in are not from Mexico. Now, the drugs are coming from Mexico, but as I explained last week, if we want them to agree to remain in Mexico, they basically say to us, you have to stop causing tumult around the drug trade in our country. The drug cartels say to the Mexican government, we're going to have Mexican bodies on the street unless you let us operate. And so that's why there's so much corruption in that government. So they, whenever we put pressure on them or when we have uh, operations over the border to try to stamp out the drug trade, the government of, of, of Lopez Obrador says, well, we're not going to cooperate you on immigration things, and that's why we're having such a problem that we are today. It's complicated. You know, if there is one... And we're going to do our next week. I'm going to be on a New Year's Eve and I was going to do kind of a wrap up thing. If there is one thing that I can impart as someone who has experience in government, someone who's obviously a, a citizen, someone who is 
a, a person who's on the radio, someone who listens to the radio, someone who consumes news and information. These things are not simple as let's go bomb that guy or let's close the border and things like that. These are complicated things that require adults to sit down in a legislative session with the support of their constituents. And very often it, 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 it's trying to figure stuff out. It is, and it's not easy. The black and white easy stuff has been done. We declared our independence from Great Britain. We did away with slavery. The easy stuff has been done. Now it's hard stuff. Now it's hard. How we stop global climate change is not easy. How we stop people who from leaving their homes to, for, the, for the good of their children is not easy. How we, we make it clear to a country like Venezuela, we don't support your leaders, we don't support what you're doing, but we also don't want all your people coming here. Two million people have come from Venezuela, about 10% of their population. I don't know if that number is right. I did an episode on this a while ago. I don't remember if it's right. These are complicated issues with a lot of moving parts. And, and I have to say to you also that simply because I explain it doesn't mean I think it's a great thing. I have some real problems with the way we're, we're pursuing these policies. And I get in trouble with my own party because I say things like, let's, if it helps us get a compromise, let's build a wall. Anyway, this is Christmas Eve. This is a day that we should be grateful. We should be grateful that the gifts we've been given, whoever our higher power is, whatever religion we are, we have each other. I'm grateful for all of you. I'm grateful for Joe and for Eva and for Kevin. I'm grateful for you for sticking with me. And stick with us a little bit longer at the other side of the hour. Curtis Lee and I will be back for Left versus Right. Thank you so much. And have a blessed Christmas Day. I